Good morning, church. All right, everybody's wide awake on a holiday weekend. How exciting is that? Um, my name's Stephen Pollitt. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Gateway, and it's a joy um, to be able to study God's Word with y'all uh, this morning. Blake and Sean are in Alaska, and I just got to tell y'all, I'm extremely jealous because every time I get a picture from them, they're wearing giant coats and everything. It's nice and cool, and it's 105 degrees, and I keep falling into the, the cracks in my yard because of how dry uh, the grass is, even after I water it. And so here they are wearing coats and everything. Um, but we miss them. excited for them to be back um, next week. Um, but again, like I said, it's a joy uh, to be with y'all um, this morning. And um, with that being said, again, I know I said this during, during our communion, but um, this is a, a, a fabulous weekend of celebration. We get to, to rejoice in the freedoms that we have just because we get to call ourselves um, Americans. And, and so um, we, I'm thankful we get to study God's Word. I'm thankful we get to, to do this um, freely and, and that, that we have freedoms that allow us to walk through these doors without um, fear of persecution and, and, and fear of a lot of things that, that underground churches throughout the world have. And so like as we study God's Word, let's, let's continue to think about that. As we read these scriptures together, uh, let's continue to think about just how blessed we are to do this without fear um, and that we get to do this openly. Um, but if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up um, to Psalm 33. So we're going to continue our summer um, in Psalm, and I love this Psalm um, so much. And the reason why I love it is because it starts with uh, the first few verses with um, this call to worship, and then it lays out like why we worship God. And so I'm excited to dig in uh, to a lot of this, but um, overarching that as I look at this section of scripture, what it is, is this call uh, to make much of a, a big God. And so with that being said, um, you can find our bulletin on gatewayonline.org. There's a button where you can go to the bulletin. And if you've never used that resource before, it's really neat. After every point in the sermon, um, you can type out stuff on your phone or your iPad, and you can send the notes to yourself. Um, but there's something a little bit different there this morning. There's a button at the top, and it says share. And so this morning, I'm going to share a little bit of my testimony. I'm going to share a little bit of the testimony of some of my heroes of the faith. Um, and so I want you to think about how you make much of a big God as well. And what I would love to do this week, what that button does, it takes you to a form. You don't have to put your name on it or anything. It's just a little paragraph box. And I want to hear and I want to rejoice with all of you of how we make much of a big God. How did he, he call you into to this loving relationship with him? How have you seen a big God work in your life? And so I just selfishly, like, I just wanted to, to rejoice with y'all a little bit this week. So if you have a few moments uh, this week or this morning, um, hit that button and, and fill that out for me so I can read that thing. I'm a reader, so I love to read. I'm going to throw all my books away this week, and I'm just going to read what y'all send me. Um, so if y'all can do that, that would be awesome. Um, but what got me thinking about this, as I, I studied Psalm 33, I started thinking about how big God is and just how we're called to make much um, of him. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at this big God and that he's worthy to be worshiped. We're going to look at why he's worthy to be worshiped. We're going to look at him as creator. We're going to look him at him as sovereign. We're going to look at him as judge and redeemer. And we're going to look at him as savior. And all those things point back to the first three verses of why we're called uh, to worship him. And so again, as I was studying this text, like I wanted to hear the salvation stories of some of my, my favorite pastors. So I did some reading um, this week, 
And Charles Spurgeon is one of my favorite pastors. I love reading his, uh, his sermons, and I've never really studied like, how he became a believer. And Charles was raised in a Christian home. He was christened as a baby. Um, he knew the scriptures extremely well. His parents would read them um, with him. And so he knew he had the knowledge of who Jesus Christ was. But until he was 15, he didn't have that saving relationship um, with, with Christ. And it says one day he was on a journey. He was going somewhere. He was 15 years old, and the snow started to, to rain down. And so he sought shelter inside this little Methodist church. And inside this little church, there was a lay pastor, not the, the, the senior pastor of that church, but a, just a, a volunteer. And he preached a, me, preached a message out of Isaiah. And in that moment, he felt the call of the Lord uh, to, to save him, to save his soul. And it says, this is a quote from Charles, um, after that moment he accepted Jesus Christ into his heart, he says, and as the snow fell on my road home from this little house of prayer, I thought every snowflake talked with me and told of the pardon that I'd found, for I was white as the driven snow. So the reason why I love this testimony so much is because he grew up in a Christian home. I can relate totally to that. There was years in my life that I was not a believer, but I knew of Jesus Christ. I knew of what he had done for me. I knew why we came to church on Christmas and Easter and, and every single Sunday. And as I would read the pastor preach a message, like I, I could understand and I could fathom what he was talking about. But spiritually, I had no real depth of knowledge or clue. And I love how Charles took it as he walked into that house of prayer and he heard God's word and it, it crawled all over him that just even nature, as snow was falling, it represented this, this purity to him, that he was white as the driven snow, that every single snowflake had this individual fingerprint and God had created every single one of those and it represented salvation for him. His life changed totally and then he made much of a big God that he proclaimed Christ crucified through the rest of his life, not just having the knowledge of who Jesus Christ was, but couldn't help himself but to let thousands and thousands of other people hear the word of God and lead them into the saving relationship with Jesus. Like, I love that story, but I can't help but think about that walk home when he accepted Jesus Christ for the first time and seeing those, those snowflakes fall and his view of who God is changed forever. Another one of my favorite pastors is, is John Wesley. Um, and John has a, a unique testimony that, again, he grew up a believer. He grew up knowing the scriptures. He grew up knowing who Jesus was. He even submitted to ministry and was coming to the new land to pastor a church in Savannah, Georgia. And as he was on his way, some German missionaries who were coming to the new world to be able to, to proclaim Jesus, he said that they had no fear in them, and he was scared to death. He was terrified. And through discussion, he realized that he had the knowledge of who Jesus Christ was, but he wasn't making much of this big God, right? He just had the knowledge of the Scripture. He had the knowledge that, that, that this word had been passed on to him, but he had no spiritual knowledge of who Jesus Christ was. And it says through this conversation that when he accepted Christ for the very first time, already inside of his ministry, he says that his heart was strongly warmed. 
Like, I, I love that phrase that, that here he'd been cold his entire life. He had the knowledge of who Jesus was, but once he had the relationship with him, that his heart was strongly warmed. And then his ministry took off. I have a book in my office that is my great-great-uncle's book, and it's just a compilation of John Wesley sermons that my great-great-uncle um, had passed down the family, ended up getting it to my grandfather, and my grandfather was recently given to me, and it sits in my office, and I love it, just being able to think about John Wesley and read a, a sermon and thinking that here he was, with the knowledge of who Jesus Christ was, but he wasn't making much of a big God until his heart was strongly warmed. So again, this morning, I want to share a a little bit of my testimony. Um, And so I came to faith in a Methodist church. And so I have a picture of of young Stephen around the time that I became a believer. Look at those dimples. I hide them with my beard well now. Um, But now my daughter, like if you ever see her smile, like she has those big old dimples as well. Um, but I want to show you this, parents. I don't know how many of y'all, um, even kids in this room, uh, have to fight with your kid to get ready for church every single Sunday. But if I, like my kids, my boys hate wearing blue jeans, and if I give them a polo to wear that has two buttons, they call it a button shirt, and it is a nightmare. And I'm thankful I have to be here, and Natalie gets to get them dressed for church. But this is how I had to get ready for church every single Sunday growing up Methodist because I was something called an acolyte. And so what an acolyte would do is I'd put my robe on and I would put my shawl on and I'd have a giant brass rod that had a flame on the tip of it and a bell. And to start the service, I would walk down the aisle and I would make my way on stage and I would light a series of candles all the way across the stage. And then I would put the flame out and I would sit on the front row and I would set the, the wick underneath my, my pew because that's what we had back then, pews. Now we have comfy chairs. Um, and our pastor would come out, and he would, was dressed very similar to me, um, had a robe on, and his name was Pastor Charles Douglas, and he would come pre- some, preach a message, and I would sit front row, and I would get to hear these messages week in and week out, and then in the middle of the message, he would invite all the children down, and he would have a children's message, and every single week, he would give us some kind of item to remember what we had talked about. Um, and I, I, I can think through several different things that he's given us um, as, as I was a kid. Um, but the Sunday that I became a believer in, in Christ, he gave us something significant. I'll talk about that in a moment. But what I want you to know is I'd spent my entire childhood knowing who Jesus was. But I spent my entire childhood also claiming the fact that I really didn't need him like everybody else did. I was a good kid didn't say things I shouldn't have. I didn't talk back to my grandparents. And a lot of that was out of fear. Um, But I had no real relationship with who Jesus Christ was. What I had was the knowledge of what he'd done for me, but the spirit that I could just not say the wrong things and not do the wrong things, and I would be okay. And I can relate with Charles and John. Y'all okay if I call them Charles and John? Like I know them personally, but that's I can relate with them. And in the moment, as all the kids sat around me and I stayed sitting in my pew with my robe and my shawl on, he passed out what's a a picture in a little bitty frame. And it's famous, and if you go to a a Methodist church, you'll see this picture um, a lot. And it's Jesus knocking on a door, and the door has no 
door handle, and it represents that, that you're called to invite Jesus into you, to your life. And I don't remember what Charles said. I don't remember the scripture of anything, but I realized in that moment that I had not invited Jesus to be actively participating in, in my life, that I had the knowledge of who he is, but I had no spirit of who he was. And in that moment, I became a believer, and I prayed, and, and I thanked Christ for dying on the cross for me. And that Sunday, sermon was over, reach underneath, and I get the, the brass wick that had a bell on it, and I would put out every single candle on stage, and I would walk out, and I would stand next to my pastor, Charles Douglas, me in my robe, him in his robe, and as all the church members would leave, we would shake hands, and I would wait there like I was a little 12-year-old pastor shaking everybody's hands. Um, and I remember weeks and weeks and months and months and years of every single Sunday that I would light those candles, and I would put it out, and I would go to the back of the, the worship center, and I would greet everybody as they left and thank you of all that time that I didn't make much of God, but I've made much of myself. And the reason why I tell you that story is to kind of expand on my testimony a little bit. That when I, when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I also accepted this call to ministry, and I didn't know what that meant. I grew up in a little coal town in eastern Kentucky that every single pastor was a bivocational pastor. Like, they worked in the coal mines, and they, they would preach on Sunday, and that's what church was. I had no idea I could do this with every single minute of every single day. And, and church, I just want you to know, like, I count that as such a huge blessing, that I get to do what I do day in and day out, and that I get to do it with each and every one of you guys. I get to serve Christ alongside of each and every one of y'all. Um, but as I got older and get, got through college, I struggled again with just continuing to think much of myself and, and less of who God was. So it's always been a, a constant battle. But as we dive into the, the scripture today, it made me think about my past. It made me think of the struggle that I continually have to make much of a big God. And so what I want us to do as we get ready to read the scripture together, I want you to think about those times. I want you to think about those moments that, that you've made much of a very big God and why we worship him. So again, if you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm 33. And we're gonna, I'm going to read all 22 verses together for us, and then we're going to break it up into sections. Um, so starting in verse 1, it says, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let the earth fear the Lord. Let all people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plan of the nations. He thwarts the purpose of the people. The plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind from his dwelling place. He watches all who live on earth. He whom forms the hearts of all, who considers everything that they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes 
by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. And so what we see in these first three verses, that he is worthy to be worshipped. If we make much of a big God, it is a call to worship day in and day out to make him the most important thing that happens to us each and every day. So again, verses 1 through 3, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the heart. Make music to him on a ten-string Lyre, sing to him a new song, play skillfully, and shout for joy. David's most likely the author of this psalm, and it is a call to worship. One of the things that I saw in researching David, that, that he would create the instruments that they would use to praise God. But our first job as believers, our first job is to worship him. And so what we do, what does it mean to worship him? And the best way that I can describe it is that we delight in his excellence. That he looked upon this little boy that would light candles, who fails constantly. And he says, you know what, Stephen, I died for you. And I created all of this so that you might know me. So we delight in his excellence. We delight in how good he is. And that's what our worship is. So as we sing the songs on Sunday morning, as we wake up on a Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, we delight in his excellence because his word is true. We get to talk to a God that created the heavens and the earth. And we rejoice in who he is and what he's done for us. But as we look at these first three verses and we understand that he is the one, the only one um, to be worshiped, and we have that realization, that means we have to remove whatever little gods that we serve, and we have to stop even worshiping them an ounce of our time, with an ounce of our energy, with an ounce of what we have. And so as we think about God being the only one worthy of worship, there's three different places in Scripture where I saw believers turn worship that they were receiving and sending it back to who God was. The first one is in Acts 10 with Cornelius and Peter. And Cornelius falls on the ground to worship Peter. And Peter grabs him and says, stand up, for I'm not the one to be worshiped, but it's God. You know, Peter, the foundation of the church, the one that God used so that we might still stand here 2,000 years later and, and make much of a big God. If anybody was going to have pride issues, it was going to be Peter. But as Cornelius falls on his knees, he picks him up. He's like, I'm not the one to be worshipped. I'm just a man. In Revelation 22, John sees the angel, and he falls on his knees, and he starts to worship the angel, and the angel tells him to stand up. You know what he says? You know what the angel says to John? He says, I'm just a servant just like you. Point your praise. Delight in the excellence of the Lord, not me. I'm just a servant. In Job, Job describes that he would see the sun and the moon. Have y'all ever seen just like a breathtaking sunset before? 
Job is seeing this breathtaking sunset. The sun is amazing. I'm sure you can see this pink sky and orange and all these amazing colors. And he sees the moon coming up as well. And it says that he would blow a kiss to the sun. He would blow a kiss to the moon. And then he realized he was worshiping the creation and not the creator. And so he begged for forgiveness. So see, church, if we're going to worship him, if we're going to delight in his excellence, what that means is whatever it is we're worshiping, even if it's ourself, we have to turn it to the one that has earned it. And so what we're going to do the rest of our time is we, we dive into to God's word. We understand that he's the only one worthy of worship, and now we're going to study why. And so verses 4 through 9, we see that he's creator. It says, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. And so we worship him because he is creator. He's created all things. And so it got me thinking, like, why did he create? What's the purpose of God to create things? And, and, and so as I was reading commentaries, as I was studying, um, there's a Hebrew word called hesed. And I'd mentioned this a couple weeks ago when I, when I preached. And what that, that Hebrew word means is it means loving kindness. He created out of a loving kindness that he wanted to share himself with others. So he's a big God and he creates not for himself, but he creates for us. And he created to share himself with people that didn't deserve it. And because of that, he's worthy of our praise. We delight in his excellence because he created out of nothingness. He created day and night, created the grass and the clouds and the sky and the mountains and everything that we get to enjoy. He did it for us out of Hesed, out of his loving kindness for you and I. He is creator. So because he is creator, we worship him, right? Because he's creator of all things and that he shared himself with man, we worship him. There's nobody else worthy of our praise. There's nobody else worthy of us to delight in excellence because there is no excellence outside of who he is. So we delight in his excellence and we turn our praise towards him because he created out of hesed. He created out of a loving kindness for each and every one of us. In verses 10 through 12, we worship him because he is sovereign. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the people, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. So he is sovereign. He's in control of all things. We're not a people that believe in deism, a God that created everything out of his loving kindness, and then he's just a, a free-for-all. He's not actively working in our lives. That God not only created for us that we might know him, but he created to have an interpersonal relationship with each and every one of us, that he knows every hair on our head. He knows why we do things. He understands our sin nature. Therefore, he sent his son to die for us. He is sovereign. He's in control of all things. He is worthy to be worshipped because he's the only one that is sovereign. He created out of his loving kindness, and he has all wisdom. He has all knowledge. And because of that, we worship him. That he looked at us not as flawed human beings. He, he looked at us not as people um, that are really just ants as he looks down on us. 
but he is woven into our lives, and he wants us to know him. See, we are image bearers of God. And so where we get into a lot of trouble as believers, we don't look at ourselves all the time as image bearers, but we look at ourselves as God. We don't look at others all the time as image bearers, but we look at them as God. We don't look at things properly, whether it's our finances, whether it's the stuff that we have, or, or whether it is blessing that God has given us, and we've turned those things into God's. We, we see that as our God. You see, we are image bearers. He created out of his loving kindness so that we might know him and understand that he is sovereign, that he is with us daily, not just looking as we participate in life, but he's actively participating with us. I love how David puts this in verse 10. It says, the Lord foils the plan of the nations. And then verse 12, he says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. What he's saying is, isn't it good to be a Jew? That's what he's saying. And really what he's saying is, isn't it good that we know who God is? We should rejoice because we have the opportunity to know the creator of all things. Isn't it good to know who God is and that why he created, why he is sovereign? In verses 13 through 17, he is judge and he knows us. From the heavens, the Lord looks down and he sees all of mankind from his dwelling place. He watches all who live on earth, who he forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is vain in hope for deliverance. So he is judge. And when I, I talk about judge, I'm not talking about judge that judges others and, and sentences us. You know what a judge also does? Is he pardons. He looks at somebody and says, yeah, you might be guilty, but you know what? You do not have to, to live in the punishment of, of your transgression. And he's the only one that is judged. He's the only one that's able to do that. He says the size of your army doesn't matter. The, 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 the might that you have, the strength that you have, it doesn't matter. Even a horse cannot outrun the lengths of this judge. But yet he still pardons. In verse 18 and 19, we see why. It says, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive during, during famine. And so we see that he's redeemer. He's worthy to be worshipped because he's redeemer. That he is judge and he could cast us into the pit of hell, but what he does is he wants us to know his loving kindness and we turn our worship towards him. We understand that he is creator. We understand that he is sovereign. We understand that he is judge and we also understand that he redeems us. I love these two verses because it says the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. What does it mean to truly fear the Lord? It is to have reverence for him. It is to delight in his, his excellence. It is to worship the only thing that's worthy of worship. And he redeems everything. And so God doesn't promise this life without toil, without difficulty, without challenge. As I, I think about my testimony, I think about my, my life with the Lord and some of the most difficult moments of just having to work through trying to figure out how to be a dad, trying to figure out how to be a husband, walking with your wife through loss, 
And so in 18 and 19, he says, the famine is there and it's real, but who keeps us alive? The Redeemer. So us as believers, we turn our, our worship towards him because he's excellent. He's the only one worthy of our praise, and he doesn't promise that there won't be challenges. It won't be promised there won't be loss. He doesn't promise there won't be difficulties, but he says that I'm the one that's going to see you through it. Put your faith in me. In verse 20 and 22, it says, We wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we must trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. We wait on the Lord. He's our help. He's our shield. Our hearts rejoice. Even if we're in the famine, our hearts rejoice. And he's worthy of our worship because he's creator God. He is sovereign. He's judge. He's redeemer. And he is savior. That he sent his son to die on the cross to forgive me for each and every transgression. When I was making much of myself instead of making much of God, he still saw something in us that he would send his son to die. And so, church, as we, we get ready to conclude today, as we talk about what it looks like to make much of a big God, what does your faith call you to do? Now, I, I love that we're sitting in this room together. We're studying God's word together. And it takes faith to wake up early on a Sunday morning to get here takes faith. You're proclaiming Christ crucified just by showing up. He's worth it. But church, as we look at what it looks like for us to delight in his excellence, to worship him because he's all these things, he's the only one worthy of, of, of our praise. What are we still holding on to? What little God still exists in our life? What pride do we still have? that we still worship ourselves more than the creator. And so what I want to encourage you to do this morning, I don't know where you're at in your faith. I don't know where you're at with your walk with the Lord. You might be sitting in this room and you don't know who Jesus Christ is. And my prayer, my plea is that you'll come to know who he is. You might be sitting in this room and you're like, you know, I, I believe in who Jesus is. But I still make much of myself and so many other things. My prayer, my plea is that we just go for it, church. That we ramp up this faith that we have inside of us. That we stir it up and we give every ounce of ourselves to a king that gave everything for us. That he created out of Hesed, his loving kindness, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He knows you by name. He knows you. So let's give everything that we are, not just a piece of ourselves on Sunday morning, not just a piece of ourselves to serve in whatever places that we serve in and outside this place. Let's give every ounce of ourselves to him. If he's worthy enough for us to give a piece of our faith, can you imagine what he does with all of us? What if we give every ounce of who we are to him and we hang on to nothing else and we trust in his loving kindness? We worship him because he is creator, he is sovereign, he's judge, and he's redeemer, and he is savior. 
So church, as I close, I'm going to get ready to pray. I'm going to be back in the next step center. And if you need to respond to God's word, and God's word demands a response, whether it's right here in this place or whether it's back there in that room, I, I beg you to come play. Pray with me. So let's delight in his excellence, not just this morning, but each and every day. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for being a big God that we can make much of. I thank you that you are worthy of our praise. Lord, let this few moments that we have together be consumed with who you are, Lord. So I pray more of your Holy Spirit to be in this place. Lord, as we sing songs to you, Lord, let us know who we're singing to, our creator. our Savior. And Lord, whatever it is that we're hanging on to, Lord, I pray that we submit fully to a God whose loving kindness saved all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.